Welcome to Arconnect Sessions, episode 44, for December 3rd, 2015. Today's podcast is sponsored by BQE Software, the makers of ArchiOffice. ArchiOffice is the only office and project management software built with the needs of architects in mind. It will help you manage people and projects while you focus on designing great architecture. And for a limited time, all startup architectural firms that have been established within the last 24 months qualify for two free licenses of ArchiOffice online for one year. Go check it out at bqe.com startups. I'm Amelia Taylor-Hochberg, and I'm here with my co-hosts Donna and Ken. And this week, we're devoting the show to a difficult question that all architects are likely to ask themselves at least at one point during their careers. Should I start my own practice? And where and how should I do that? Our special guest for this episode, longtime Archonnector David Cole, is currently weighing that decision for himself, debating whether he should stay put in his hometown of Cincinnati or strike out for greener pastures in the Pacific Northwest. He brought his concerns to Archonnect's forum, and the discussion quickly unearthed issues that get to the heart of the profession. Where is the market and the architecture community headed? Donna and Ken have their own personal experiences starting firms and moving to new cities, and we discuss with David the factors architects must weigh to make such an important decision. You can check out the entire forum discussion under the title, You Can't Go Home Again, or Can You? So David Cole, thank you so much for joining us to discuss this issue. Oh, no problem at all. Thanks for having me. As a little bit of background, just for those who aren't already familiar with the forum discussion in particular, and if they don't know David, who is one of the proud few on the site that identifies as his real name. <laughs> Thank you, David. <laughs> for better or for worse. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you've been on Arconnect for the better part of 10 years. You remember Donna when she was Liberty Bell on the way back. Right. Um, and you went to school in Chicago and Cincinnati, and you're currently based in Cincinnati, that's correct? Yes. But you've worked in Chicago, Philly, New York City, and, and also Cincinnati. But you are considering, and this is the kind of premise of the forum posting, starting your own firm and kind of debating whether or not it's best to do that in your home base of Cincinnati or to strike out for greener pastures, quite literally, in Seattle. Right. So what initially, how did you get to this point where you felt comfortable now is the time that you want to start thinking about starting your own firm? I think, I mean, it's one of those things that's always been sort of the fantasy. You know, even when I was a kid thinking about being an architect, it was always the kind of this idea of the solo practitioner or maybe having a few people working under me uh, in a small office. And then since I've been in the profession, that's one of those things that's always been there as an idea kind of in the back of my mind. But now that I'm almost licensed and I'm, you know, just turned 40 this past year and you know, I'm reaching the point where I'm not getting any younger. And I think it's one of those things where if I do it, I should probably start laying the groundwork for it pretty soon. I don't think I'm ready to, to actually take that leap yet. And I probably won't be for a few more years because I think I still need some experience working for uh, other architects for a while. But I think in the long term, you know, I at least want to be, you know, either have either a you know, owner of my own firm or in a partnership with somebody or having some sort of equity stake in a firm, whether it's a firm that's, you know, it's already been around for a few years or if it's something that I get started from scratch. So David, I knew and congratulations almost on you're you're so <laughs> close to this being licensed that you can taste it. I know you're just waiting on paperwork at this point, right? Yeah, it's really frustrating. I, I, I feel like I'm trapped in a Kafka novel right now because uh, just... <laughs> <laughs> um, New York, I filed the initial paperwork through New York State, and they have some work experience requirements above and beyond the um, NCARB IDP requirements. And it's been a bit of a struggle to get some of my prior work experience uh, recognized uh, by the state. And I'm, yeah, I 
you know, every week they ask for some additional documentation. I said, I send it to them and I, I think my file just goes to the back of the queue at that point. <laughs> and then, and then like a week or two later, they'll ask for something else. And then the whole cycle starts over, over all over again. Oh, so frustrating. Yeah. It's so frustrating. And to me, that's really one of the great little things about our connect is we can all go on there and complain about these things together. But I did not realize until you just said it that you also just turned 40 or about two. That's a big milestone. Yeah, back in March. And so what what intrigued me the most about your the thread that we will put in the show notes, of course, is this question of do I move to a different place or not? Because you're obviously hitting these big milestones. And a lot of us, for, for all of us, getting licensed is a huge milestone. And I think for all of us, Certain birthdays are a huge milestone. Yeah. But for you, that really then came down to, do I stay or do I go? You know, do I stay in this place that maybe is my home base, but doesn't especially feel like a deep rooted home for me? Or do I move to somewhere new? And I think one question that is often comes up is um, in our profession is... um, you know, 40-year-old architects are still considered young architects. So <laughs> thank God for that. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thank goodness for that. But but to be able to say at age 40, okay, I'm going to uproot myself and move completely across the country and try something new. I feel like I've done that a couple of times. And um, I think it's a good thing for many in our profession to do that, to sort of disrupt themselves. Mm-hmm. Agree? Yeah. I mean, i from Cincinnati originally, but uh, my family moved away when I was 10 years old. And we never lived more than three years in one city, pretty much from that point until, well, until I moved out on my own. And then I started moving around on my own for various reasons. So I, I've never really felt rooted anywhere for a really long time. And I think it's, you know, I, I don't enjoy moving, but it's one of those things that you know, it's sometimes it's just a, a nice way of hitting the, uh, the reset button in life. Then, you know, at other times it's just, it's just purely for pragmatic reasons. So I think, you know, my relationship to Cincinnati is a little weird that you know, I lived here as a kid, but then I came back for grad school. And it's, um, I think Aaron Wren talked about this a little bit in his Urbanophile blog, where he, he talked about boomerang kids who leave their home, hometown and then come back. And there's a, you know, there's sort of a, a mixed uh, record of success, I guess. You know, some people come back and they do great things and other people will just run away screaming. <laughs> so when you initially returned back home, I mean, what what were the feelings around that? Was that kind of like a consolation or so? It's a lot of mixed feelings. You know, it's, insane. it's a very comfortable city. You know, definitely, you know, I, I definitely have it a, an attachment to Cincinnati that I will probably never have with any other city, you know, on a very personal level. And the city itself is, has reinvented itself in recent years. It, it sort of hit a low point in 2001 with the uh, race riots. And I remember visiting back home at some time around that period. I can't remember exactly when. I, I can't remember if it was before the riots or after the riots, but I just remember driving through the city and just being really depressed at the condition the city was in. It was just, uh, I mean, it was a dumpster on fire, basically. <laughs> and, then, and then I came back for grad school. I applied to a number of grad schools, uh, but I, for a number of reasons, I just picked uh, the University of Cincinnati, which happens to have a, a really good program, and started that in 2010. And at that point, the city was pretty well into a, a pretty good upswing where the yeah, you know, the old neighborhood where the riots occurred is now being heavily gentrified for for better or for worse, and the downtown is uh, really coming back. We've got a streetcar system, so we'll, it will no longer be the largest city in the country with no form of rail transit. And then, um, so there's a lot of good stuff happening, and it's it, the possibility of being part of that is is very exciting. But there's still a lot of the the old Cincinnati still left. It's a very conservative city. It's a very the the architecture scene here is very corporate and very risk averse. 
So there's, there's kind of a balance of optimism and uh, frustration. Mm-hmm. So much of what was raised in the forum discussion has to do with kind of the impossible, the, like the predicting the future effectively, is that trying to chase certain market trends are, is very risky. And while also, you know, not chasing them might even be more risky, right? Is like, if you're just going to go with whatever you assume to be the status quo, that it, that isn't necessarily reliable either. And what I felt was fascinating about the advice that was raised in the column and, and Donna and Ken is having also experience like striking it out on your own. Maybe you can comment to this. A lot of the advice seemed to say or directly said it better to be a big fish in a small pond than a small fish in a big pond. So basically better to rule the small to mid-sized city that isn't necessarily an architecture hotspot than to try to duke it out and compete in um, a larger market like New York. But what I found fascinating about that was that it kind of missed the nuances of the question that you initially posed, right? Which is not like, how do I just become whatever the media says is the hottest architect? It was more, how do I start something that is totally mine and that I can be proud of and that can push the ideas that I've been wanting to develop right? and haven't been able to do by working under someone else? So in that kind of regard, like, what are the kind of, and just in general, like, what are the motivations in working for yourself? I know we spoke a little bit about like just having equity and having that control, but what kind of projects do you think would be like the kind of stuff you'd want to engage in? I think the, the projects that I've always been most passionate about, one is just custom residential, which is a little ironic because that's the one project type I have almost zero professional experience <laughs> in. I've, but that's what most architects start with, right? right? When you're starting a small firm. So it's a good place to start. Yeah, I think there's something very intimate about designing a home for somebody who's going to live there. That's I think it's a much more intimate level of design doing that versus, you know, I have done housing work before, but it's always been kind of developer driven. You're, you're designing for a third party who plans to sell it or rent it at some point. They're not actually going to be living there. But I think the just the process of working directly with the homeowner or just, you know, the end user on any project, whether it's a home or a university building, I, I think I've always gotten the most satisfaction from working directly with the end users and kind of figuring out, helping them figure out their needs. And then responding to that in a meaningful way. So if you're just doing developer work or retail work or something like that, that's not it, that type of work tends to be more designed by spreadsheet. And it's just not something I see myself doing for the rest of my life. In addition to the residential, I've always had a pretty strong interest in uh, transportation design and civic projects. And I've got a pretty good background in higher ed and corporate work. So I'm perfectly happy to take on those projects as well. I mean, as a solo practitioner, I don't expect to be designing the uh, new Penn Station in New York, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of nice to fantasize about it once in a while. Though. Well, you know, it's interesting, Amelia. Um, in fact, I think David and I, are ba- our backgrounds are very similar. In fact, uh, and even in terms of getting licensed at a, at a, a later age than uh, many younger design professionals, uh, I got my license right around 40 as well. And I have the same kind of moving around background, having a father in the military. And I thought that it would be easier for me to make the transition when I actually moved to Minnesota from New Jersey until I found out that I found out really what the definition of Minnesota nice was. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and it's been it, I will say that it, it is a difficult thing. I mean, as everyone's been talking about on that particular thread, the, the challenge is you don't have a network. Right. Uh, that's the biggest challenge right there. So. When you move to a new location, you are the the shiny new coin or the shiny new penny on the ground that people will pick you up and take a look at you. But oftentimes, 
a lot of design firms that are in those cities, even the smaller mid-sized cities like uh, Portland, Seattle, Minnesota, or Minneapolis, St. Paul, a lot of those people who are doing hiring went to school in that area. Right. And so they tend to hire from that pool of students. And they have, because they have, um, plus those those students have networks with other students and that's how they get, you know, the hire from that same pool of people. Like even now the firm I'm working for currently, six month contract to hire and they've hired other people in the firm since then. And I'm not sure if they're contract to hire as well, but I kind of thought, well, they don't know me. They want to get a look at me. They want to see if I bring any value to their team. And that's part of the the benefit that they have when they can make that decision as a, a contract to hire and they can kind of get a look at me because they don't have a network. They know I don't really have a network of people to kind of pull from. So that's a particular challenge. And it's still a very insular community here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though the that's the weird thing about architecture is that it's a small field and we generally know each other. But even then, it gets smaller because the cliques that exist within the profession because of people that went to that went to school here, the people that never left here, right. really don't have a broad base of experience with other people outside of Minnesota. So that makes it a, a very unique challenge to um, be a, in the design profession from another region. Yeah. So if I can jump in there, Ken, I think because I moved to Indianapolis to become a partner with my a friend of mine from undergraduate school to work with my still best friend. And because I went in and David, you mentioned this in your thread that it would be nice to either be a sole practitioner or to go into an equity position in a firm, like preferably a smaller firm where you have a couple of partners. And I found that when I came from a firm where I was a associate level, so I was a project manager in Philadelphia. And then I moved to Indianapolis and became a partner. I suddenly felt the weight of networking, the necessity of it. And I really went out and talked to people, met with people. I did a lot of volunteer work. I mean, I think because I was thrust into that role of being an equity partner, I felt like I had to live up to that, you know, that position and network. And and through that, now I feel like I have a, a great network in Indianapolis. But I think that if I had moved here and become a project manager in a larger firm, I would not have felt that need really to go and network as much as I did. Right. And I think that's, you know, that's an interesting point because, you know, when I, if I moved to Seattle, I would be, you know, I wouldn't be starting my own firm the minute I get there. I'd definitely be working at another office. I I do have a few leads out there already. So I like to spend at least a few years working in another office out there. And I, I think I would have to sort of prod myself to get out and do that networking rather than just go home and watch Netflix. <laughs> yeah. With all the rain coming down. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I can't unfortunately speak to the specifics of actually starting a practice, but my husband, who's an architect, moved to Los Angeles from Copenhagen looking for work. And I can just corroborate all of these networking stories. It sounds so you know, kind of 101, but all of the jobs that he's gotten in the two years that he's been here, which have been about a half, two, two specific and like three pending, they've all come from a very concerted getting out there and just talking to as many people as possible. And often those people not necessarily being architects, but being active in the kinds of decision-making and conversations that architects want to be a part of and might not already be. So talking to city planners and talking to um, people involved in the level of like even local government to try to like get, get an understanding of what might be happening on the policy level, things like that. It really cannot be understated how whenever someone looks at you and it's like, okay, I know that person, <laughs> how much that can go farther than just referring to you based on whatever social media platform. 
Um, so I, I think about like Donna, about your story and, and about these conversations on the thread and think like, well, how do you really, the only way to really get that strength of networking might be to to gravitate towards a city that you would want to be in regardless of whether you would want to start the firm in it, right? Like that you would want to commit to that community, that you would want to do the equivalent of Donna's, you know, volunteering at the children's school and stuff like that and be embedded in that way that can get you those legs up that otherwise don't really, they're, they're not just not going to fall at the doorstep. Right. I, I totally agree. And I, I think that's one of the big draws to about the Pacific Northwest in general and Seattle in particular for me is the it's, it's in a region of the country that I'm, I've always been absolutely in love with uh, just the the natural beauty out there and there's some organizations that are involved with you know, the forestry and that natural you know conservation of the natural areas out there and then also there's a lot of big developments happening transit wise in seattle which uh, transit's a big pet issue of mine so i think there there is that opportunity to get involved in uh, and make those kind of connections and so when you came and did this initial post did you kind of expect that it would give you information that might tilt you one way or the next? Or did you think it might just be like, this will be some interesting, we'll, we'll see what comes of this? <laughs> I think it was more of the latter. It was, it was, you know, I think not too much of the discussion was stuff that I didn't already know, but it was, it was cathartic just to write it down and put it out there just to, as a way of kind of sorting my own thoughts out. And then just watching the discussion that followed and participating also helped kind of clarify my thought process. And uh, I think it helped me look at things more objectively because, you know, it's one of these big life decisions. And it's one of those things where I try, you know, try to strip sentimentality out of the picture and just look at things from a rational point of view. And sometimes, it, you know, you need other people to sort of weigh in in order to get that perspective. So what we haven't discussed here is the sort of uh, the very squishy notions of going to a new place. And in your case, David, that is the tiki bar right. concentration, correct? So how many tiki bars are there in Cincinnati? None. Uh, there's a couple. Oh, of, what? Really? There's, there's big fat zero. Uh, there, there's a couple bars that serve tiki drinks. And there's a bar that I actually used to work for the owners. I, I designed their logo and they, uh, during the summer, they had a tiki Tuesday once a week, but they don't, <laughs> but they don't. The, 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 the kind of the head bartender there wants to launch a tiki bar, but uh, I don't know when that'll ever happen, uh, just as long as he gets me to design it. But uh, in Portland, there's three very well-established tiki bars, and I think Seattle has one that just opened. Actually, it's this new complex up in North Seattle that uh, Anchor Moisan, which is a really cool firm based in Portland, but they have a Seattle office, and they actually designed it as part of this larger entertainment complex. So that's uh, that's on my list to... Uh, check out the next time I'm out there. So, I mean, I didn't know in Philadelphia what, you know, obviously Philadelphia is a great city for all kinds of cultural things. But my first sort of when I moved there, my first thing I did was said, okay, I need to have a bank. And the PSFS building in Philadelphia at that point still housed a bank. And so I immediately opened my bank in that architecturally significant building because I felt like that was a... <laughs> just regardless of the whatever fees they charge. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I don't care what kind of services they offer. I just I want to go into that lobby every day. And that's what I did. So yeah, you'll, you know, there, there's obviously there are some things in Cincinnati that are cool in that way. And I know you love the streetcar. But yeah, I think whatever city you go to, you do have to sort of find those, uh, those neat things that, that make it a place where you want to live. And I think, Amelia, your point is really good. That the more interested you are in a place, the more likely you are to, to build that network just by enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, and just back to the analogy of the the fish in the pond. I think yeah, you know, the the whole big fish in the small pond idea is yeah. You know, that if 
if the water in one pond is filthy, then yeah, right. if the, that's excellent. If the water in the other, if the water in the other pond is much cleaner, then yeah, that kind of tilts the uh, decision making process. Also, so Donna, when you initially started your practice, and eventually it had to go by the wayside, and you moved on to other things, what were kind of the? Did you have like overwhelming re- like uh, lessons learned that you could only realize in hindsight that you think would be helpful in this type of conversation? Well, I, the, the biggest thing to me was I was working in a firm in Philadelphia that I loved. I love the firm. I love the people. I, I really enjoyed the work we did. But leaving it, a couple, about a year later, I realized I had to leave it because it was my first serious job after finishing grad school. And in my mind, I had to go and do something different to push myself out of the mold that I had fit myself into in that firm. And not to say that I didn't, I, I learned great things there. I'm proud of the work I did there. But for me, just the very fact of picking up and moving to a new place made me learn things about myself and about what I wanted to practice. And so that's, I frequently said that moving to a new place is a good thing to do. And I love this saying that once you leap, the net will appear. And, and the, then the advice I gave to David on the thread was it's better to regret the thing you did do than the thing you didn't do. So you know, I could have been happy, I think, in Philadelphia, just staying at that job. And I, my, my very best friend from that firm is still there and is, has moved up the ranks. And he and I started uh, within a month of each other, both straight out of grad school. And he's still there and is very happy. I felt proud that I had learned something by forcing myself into an uncomfortable situation, basically. That sounds so undergraduate optimistic. I love it. That's exactly, that's exactly <laughs> I'm an what, optimist. No, but that's also exactly what like we're in review season and it's fun to hear the same advice being given out to these freshman architects who are have no idea what is happening and what is going to happen. But they're being told, they're being given at the same time incredibly harsh criticism about what their first efforts are, but also being told like it is way better to strike out and try something crazy than to just be held back constantly by what you assume is the safest route. So I just, I'm, 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 I'm totally, uh, feel stronger in the root of the profession that the fact that this kind of advice is being doled out on both levels. But I also wanted to ask Ken, just before we start wrapping things up after when you, Ken, when you moved and kind of in the same vein as, as what Donna spoke about, when you moved and became a part of the Minneapolis scene and started working there, what kind of advice would you hand out just off the top of your head for people in a somewhat similar position or thinking about starting a firm? I think it's generally the same thing that everybody said so far. I mean, one of the things that I did was um, I moved here in 2006 and two years later, a week after the election, I was laid off from a firm. So the one thing I committed to doing, because I was fortunate, I tell people all the time who linger and don't get their license, you get your license, you own your life. And I I firmly believe that if you're kind of on the fence about, you know, whether or not you should do it, and there's a lot of complainers on the website about getting a license and all that stuff, they spend infinitely less time. If they spent less time complaining, they would have more time to dedicate to getting their license and they would get it done faster. (laughs) And and then you'd have it by now. So the the, the time, I can guarantee you there's a couple people on the site who complain so much that you figure if you total up the total amount of time they spent complaining, they could have their license already. But once I made that decision to get my license and I got it, so when I got laid off, I was like, okay, well, I, all right, I've already said I own my own life. So I immersed myself in my neighborhood, joined neighborhood committee, a neighborhood community organization. And it didn't, I won't say that I, I can't say that I didn't benefit from it. I mean, nothing really tangible came out of that, but I made myself a presence in the community. And then once I did that, I joined the Minneapolis Arts Commission and again, making myself a presence in the community so that 
I knew that if I didn't make if I didn't make those efforts and extend myself in a way because it was a big deal for me to kind of extend myself in that in that fashion. If I didn't extend myself in that way, that I wasn't going to be able to have people say there wouldn't be that conversation where hey, you know that guy Ken? He's an architect. He was on the Minneapolis Arts Commission. Oh. Oh yeah, yeah, he did that, or he did this, and he voted against that on this. You know, if I didn't make those efforts to kind of put myself out there and at least make myself known to a community who didn't know me, I would never get anywhere in this community. And so I think you can't make a decision to move to a city based on a job or based on a woman or based on a potential <laughs> partnership. I mean, those things I've done, <laughs> and they're not always. Um, and in hindsight, probably wasn't the best thing for me. And I would say that you have to, I think, Amelia, you were kind of, I think you were saying this, if you did not write, say it, that you have to look at where you're committing yourself to and figure out if, if I don't have this job as an architect, is this a place I want to ultimately live? Because there will be a time in your life where you may not be an architect. And is that the place you're going to want to spend the rest of your life? And, you know, I'm, the allure of going back to New York City is always present because I have friends that work out there. So the the small fish in a big pond, the, the nice thing about that kind of analogy is that if you have a collection of small fishes in a big pond, you can go after bigger work. So I won't totally put that off as a possibility for anyone if they plan it, but you have to have a network in place. You have to be willing to make that effort. The effort is much, much harder to make in those situations. But if you know people there, you can pull together your resources and make something happen. So it really comes down to if you're just going to come plant yourself and kind of think that the work is going to come to you because by sheer grace of your talent, then you're sadly mistaken and you're wasting your time. <laughs> In fact, I hope most people who come to Minneapolis come with that attitude because I'll just take all your work. <laughs> <laughs> we want a healthy dose of competition. That's that's all that's all that Minneapolis needs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully I'll get a few of those people out in Seattle. So David, are you gravitating? I understand you're you're pretty much you've made up your mind pretty much at this point. Yeah, I think uh unless something big happens like a mega thrust earthquake or a recession or <laughs> some dream job lands on my lap here in Cincinnati, I think uh, I'm, uh, I've, I've pretty much decided I'm going to go to Seattle at the end of April. Well, that's very exciting. And I hope that there's no earthquake anywhere. But if that earthquake <laughs> has to happen, then it doesn't hurt anyone, but it makes a lot of work for you in Seattle. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> the thought has crossed my mind. You're, you're calling me optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks so much for joining us and talking about this. What what is inevitably like a very personal topic, right? It's like right. trying to self actualize <laughs> in your profession. Yeah. And I think that the forum topic provides a really really valuable resource just for anyone who's ever thought about starting their own thing. And I'm sure that's many more people that have ever said they've thought that thing. And so to see the depth of thought and consideration that goes into such a decision that may not necessarily strictly have to do with what the markets are like. I think that's incredibly important and, and really appreciate you taking the time to bring that up in the forum. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, thanks so much. Great to talk to you, David. Really, really fun. And Likewise. Uh, we'll see you on the forum. All right. See thanks. you on the forum. <laughs> see you around. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for Arconnect Sessions, episode 44. If you have any questions about the podcast, you can reach us on Twitter at Arc Sessions. That's at A-R-C-H Sessions or with hashtag Archonnect Sessions. You can also email us at connect at archonnect.com. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to us on iTunes. We also produce a weekly interviews-only podcast called One to One, which you can also subscribe to on iTunes. Those new episodes come out every Monday. If you love the show, please consider writing us a review on iTunes.
Danilo Voinov edited this episode, and Paul Petrunia and I are the producers of Arkinex Sessions. Thanks again for listening.